Welcome back to the Returning to Oneself podcast. I am Mish. I'm Emma. And every two weeks, us, a special guest, will help you to understand how and why you are abandoning yourself. So if you are someone that lacks self-confidence, feels stuck hating their body, and is constantly striving to change yourself into a smaller version, whether that be physically and or emotionally, this podcast is for you. With our and our guests' experience and expertise, not only will you be reminded that you are not alone in this struggle, but there is hope that you can go from disconnected from yourself and your body to being reconnected. Stick with us as we teach you how you can return to yourself and finally reach a place where you are at peace with yourself, your life and your body. So hello and welcome to this week's episode. Today we are joined by Joanna Rotaro, also known as the Miseducated Therapist, who works with people who have experienced childhood trauma, especially emotional neglect. And her passion is helping people creating healthy relationships. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited for this conversation today. (laughs) Me too, (laughs) actually. (laughs) I'm glad we're starting on the same page. Yes. We want our listeners to have a little bit of info about you. And so we Mm -hmm. have two questions for you that we ask everyone. We want to know two interesting facts about you. And secondly... If you were a cartoon character, who would you be and what? Oh, gosh. Those are quite um, interesting <laughs> questions, actually. Well, maybe you, yeah. could, you could tell us where does miseducated therapists come from? Okay, that's a slightly easier question. So I guess that's just the name I have on social media. But I mean, it's a reflection of who I am as a therapist in terms of like, I'm very much, you know, bullshit, quite open, quite honest, transparent. I'm also very much about kind of empowering my clients, helping them to like live the life that they want, to have the sort of relationships that they want but um, the other thing is I often believe that society miseducates us in the sense of like society makes us believe that we're not good enough that we can't achieve certain things that we're this we're that you know it's all quite negative messaging so it, it, it's kind of like a play on words of course my main inspiration was the album by um, Lauren Hill which is the miseducation of Lauren Hill so yeah that's where the name comes from amazing that is very interesting actually yeah the other fact i'm a cbt therapist i live in london i'm in private practice although i trained in the nhs and i worked in the nhs for about five years but i decided to go on my own and follow my own path about two years ago and as you can tell from my accent i wasn't born in the uk i'm originally from romania and i've lived in the uk for about 16 17 years something like that and what about your cartoon character favorite cartoon character what came to mind was like tom and jerry and i probably like younger audiences might not know what the hell i'm on about but tom and jerry was like something that i used to watch as a kid i think i would see myself as tom chasing the little uh, mouse right (laughs) but that's just because it's like very comforting it reminds me of my childhood being back home and you know, just being a child, basically, and being a happy child. I know. loved Tom and Jerry. I'm I know. So, I'm so glad you've chosen that one. Tom was so resilient. It did not matter how many times he failed, he kept going. <laughs> and I love that. Oh, that's a very good point. Cool. That is a very good That really point. connects with you. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe subconsciously, that's why I chose him and I didn't realize. 
So let's dive into the deep stuff now. Obviously, we're mm-hmm. here for a reason and we're carrying a big purpose on our shoulders. As you know, our podcast is all about bringing awareness around self-abandonment and the way especially women experience this. And we love, love, and we're very passionate about reversing that or perhaps providing tools that can help with navigating through that. We want to know in what ways did you experience self-abandonment? And you can choose any point in your life whether it was your childhood or whether it was recently because that's also very relevant sure but before I um, answer the question uh, one thing that I really wanted to mention is that I really love the name of your podcast like reconnecting with oneself and a few months ago I went event by um, Gabor Mate was in London he was speaking live I know you're nodding because you know who you are but for anyone listening he's an exposition who is now very much dedicating to the field of trauma, especially emotional neglect like me, addictions and ADHD. But his talk that day was called Transforming Trauma or something like that, Transforming Trauma with Dharma Mate. And one of the points that he was making was, what does he actually mean to transform trauma? Because, you know, the implication of the word is that you're actually changing it. But when you're working with trauma, when you're actually healing, it's not about changing the trauma. It's about going back to the essence, to the heart of who you are. So in a way, like your title, you know, reconnecting with yourself, that's exactly what you're doing, right? You're going back, you're helping women go back to the essence of who they are, letting go of all the things that society or trauma itself taught them that they should be in, all the ways that they thought they should act, which is really cool it's really inspiring as well oh I feel like more and more work that I do with clients everything is just about that it's coming back to that kind of unconditional goodness that we have inside that true self as you know a lot of people kind of name it showing compassion to why we've had to become that false self that why we've had to self-abandon but then also giving ourselves the choice and and permission to also unlearn that and, and come back and that's yeah that's why Mish and I love this podcast because we get to talk about something that we want for every single person not just women we want that for everybody I I mean I I know I'm speaking for Mish and I but like I think we're both very happy that you can appreciate uh, what it is that we're trying to do here and so thank you thank you thank you yeah I mean it's a great mission to have isn't it and it's inspiring and I hope like loads of women are listening to this especially women that are on their kind of self-healing journey going back to your question one of the things that we have to be mindful of is that I am a therapist and there is a chance that there might be um, clients of mine listening to this so I have to be mindful in terms of how much I can self-disclose but there's two things about me that I'm quite comfortable disclosing I don't hide on my social media either and those parts of me are very much linked to self-abandonment so one of them are my kind of high achieving perfectionistic traits and the other one is my dismissive avoidant attachment styles I see them both as self-abandonment and I can explain why so in terms of perfectionism being a high achiever being a perfectionism when we think about it what does it actually mean what does someone who's high achieving or perfectionistic do and it's usually that they feel like who they are their heart is not good enough who they are in their essence is not good enough and the only way that they can receive love receive attention receive affection is by succeeding by achieving by doing all these things that will mean that you receive praise and you receive love and you receive kind of attention from others but it's a self-abandonment in the sense of i am neglecting my own needs and as a perfectionist like if you guys work with perfectionists one of the things that you'll notice is that perfectionists tend to get ill quite a lot because they very much avoid not necessarily avoid but they kind of ignore any signs of stress their body can't take it anymore so you'll notice that they always complain about you know headaches or their immune system being quite uh, 
infectious relatability. Yeah, hundred percent, a hundred thousand percent, and I will definitely have things to add to this. So yeah, hundred percent relatable. So in a way, chasing perfectionism or chasing kind of high achieving is is an abandonment of your bodily needs. It's also an abandonment of your emotional needs because we're not so much focusing on you know cultivating who we are and what we care for, what we stand for. We're very much just chasing achievement, but not necessarily like when I say achievement, it's not necessarily like, oh gosh, I gotta. It can be. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like I have to be the best I have to you know be number one in everything like that competitive side it can be but for me it's more achieving career success and doing all these things and I don't know if you wanted to add something to that I, I, I do want to add it definitely resonated with me because I am a recovering perfectionist and of course there will always be elements of it in every single one of us but I guess it comes down to the levels of it or the, the ratio mm-hmm. perhaps and what you said about perfectionists often being ill that was literally my life I was a huge perfectionist I was so caught up in the chase that I would burn out on regular basis like almost every month I would burn out it was absolutely crazy I already have quite high inflammatory response which means that any stress or if I don't manage my stress levels inflammation goes high in my body so So it takes very little for you to get a response yeah I have to be very mindful of my lifestyle otherwise my body responses like immediately so when I was not managing my expectations when I was not meeting my needs when I was not setting boundaries when I was chasing I was burning out it was like my routine I would have infections I would have I would have migraines like every single week it was crazy and it's true it definitely what you said is true and I am I am the proof (laughs) (laughs) I mean I'm glad that there's somebody else on this podcast that's relating to my experience because you know it, it it was the same for me especially at this time of the year you know in this period of time I used to get ill so like so often I would have you know people would just have like the first cold and I would be like on my fifth one it would just be like a repeated thing perfectionism has a role to play in that I now look back just having this conversation mm-hmm. well that would make sense to why I was ill a lot as a child what would usually happen is I would just push 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 and the minute I relaxed bang I'm sick mm-hmm. um I always thought I just had a terrible immune system maybe it was a bit of both I think after my after my master's where I couldn't mentally perform as, as much as I could. I couldn't. I realized that it was actually more okay for me to not be that all the time. Sometimes it definitely comes through. As you said, it's a recovering thing, but I definitely feel I'm more able to be like, ah, okay, I'm going into this completely ignoring everything about myself mode. One of the things about achieving our needs is that as perfectionists, we tend sometimes to self-sabotage in the sense that things are just never good enough. Once we achieve one target, we're like, oh, well, the target wasn't hard enough. The standard was too low. You know, I should have tried harder. Here's this next thing that I want to do. Here's the next thing that I want to chase. So we're like constantly pushing for more when we say that are we not good enough is that is that truly that people perceive us as not being good enough or is that within ourselves that we perceive ourselves to be um, not good enough that we have that internal pressure i guess if you keep moving the milestone for yourself there's always still another opportunity i just wanted to add (laughs) it is about the internal story or the internal narrative that you are following in that when you are in that space because as we know we always are looking for confirmation so we're going to be seeking evidence to confirm our already existing belief that is that we are not good enough well I need to find as many receipts as possible to confirm that so I know that this is true and I can just (laughs) relax quote unquote but you will never relax that's just like a false vision that you're thinking that's going to happen 
And you know, the other trap with perfectionism in this way is that I often tell to my clients that it's a bit like an iceberg. People see the tip of the iceberg, what's on the surface. They see your outcomes, what you've achieved, your results, and they praise you for that. But they don't see what's below the surface. They don't see the, the majority of the iceberg, which is the sacrifices you've had to make, the pain, the obstacles, what it costs you to get to where you are. Because if people would have known that, they wouldn't be just giving you this all positive talk, all this re reinforcement that makes you want to strive for it. They would meet you, hopefully, if you don't have assholes in your life. But yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, they would meet you with the compassion and the empathy for your pain, for your struggle. And therefore, you'd feel less of a need to keep on chasing the perfectionism and be able to work more towards meeting yourself with compassion and allowing yourself to, you know, be human and accepting your humanity. My, my supervisor always says that you receive applause, but it's actually false applause. It's not real applause because you're only applauded for the tip of the iceberg rather than the whole iceberg. That's very powerful. Yeah. It's also really tricky to navigate, though, because uh, one of the things when I'm well and when I have a lot of energy, I'm like, yes, I'm on top of the world and back to myself now. So I can do 1000 things at the same time and manage them all. But it's a freaking trap because it never works. Like you're just setting yourself back to the beginning because I'm not a superhuman. I, I still have 24 hours in a day, just like everybody else. I still have the same resources, just like everybody else. So why the hell do I constantly believe that I can achieve a thousand things all at the same time? You're setting yourself up for failure in terms of, okay, now I'm well, therefore let me push myself more. Therefore, then you end up ill again and therefore, you, you know, you recover and then you constantly believe that yeah i can do it so like the key is to kind of really learn to pace relearn to listen to your body and really learn to treat yourself with compassion like you would treat a small child or like your best friend or like even if you had a pet you know sometimes we're more uh, compassionate towards our pets than other people in our lives <laughs> be like that sometimes <laughs> be like that sometimes yeah <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your you said about your avoidant so i guess the other you know in terms of attachment styles uh, you can have a combination of four different attachment styles like dismissive avoidant anxious preoccupied secure and fearful avoidant or disorganized it's sometimes called and we learned this from birth it's based on like the parenting and the love and the care that we received growing up but those attachment styles you know, we carry them for our, our lives um, and they show up in our relationships as well it can show up in any type of relationship not just intimate it can even show up in relationships of work but part of dismissive avoidance is that people are very independent very self-reliant very self-sufficient which sounds great in theory but the downside of it is that often as a dismissive avoidant you're shutting down the door to connection with others because you're not letting other people in you're not trusting people enough to open up to them to share your emotional experience to let them see who you are like you're shutting down the door to support and help and connection so in a way that's still self-abandonment because as much as I would like to believe that I'm an island and I can cope and I can do everything on my own that's not the reality of humanity that's not the reality of who we are as humans because we are wired for connection the way we have evolved is for us to survive when we're connecting with others when we're when we have a support system around us and if I'm shutting down the door to that I am abandoning my own needs, my own emotional needs. I, I've been looking forward to have this conversation with you today, especially about this part. Really? Well, yeah. I, I mean, you know that <laughs> me and you have had many conversations about, we have had few conversations about avoidance style. I think it was this week or last week you shared a post about a lot of misunderstanding 
that there is around avoidant attachment. And it really, really, really connects with me because when I learned about attachment styles, I was convinced I had anxious attachment style, 100%. Only until about maybe a year ago, as I continued educating myself and I started working with my therapist, I learned that actually I have a mix of both that are strongly fighting against each other However, and this is very interesting to me, when I learned and when I started exploring the avoidant attachment, Mm -hmm. it was way more painful than experiencing the anxious attachment. That's interesting. It is interesting. And I do think a lot of the misconceptions, there's a factor of that when it comes to the pain that I was experiencing, because to me, it felt like I was perhaps desperate for connection, but I was frozen in a place where I couldn't reach it or couldn't even get closer to it if I wanted to. And I think that was way more painful than experiencing the element of the anxious attachment, which was somebody's going to leave me or I'm going to be abandoned. But you know, one of the misconceptions about a dismissive avoidance style is that people believe that if you're avoidant, it means you're like cold-hearted narcissists who are manipulating, who are gaslighting people, who don't care about feelings, who just want to be on their own. And that's not true. Just because you have dismissive avoidance style, it doesn't mean that you don't care for connection. It doesn't mean that you want, you don't want connection. You still want it because that's how we are wired. This is in our biology. The trouble is that for whatever reason, our experience is growing up taught us that seeking connection is not safe because people are not there you can't rely on others and therefore all you can rely is on yourself so therefore don't reach out for others just keep going just pretend that you don't have feelings just pretend that you don't need others and you know try best to survive and keep going which we can just see how difficult that must be right like to feel like others are not safe to feel like if i share myself with others they're not going to be there for me they're going to abandon me that that is extremely painful to carry isn't it i'm just thinking of hearing for you you know having both of those and why the, the avoidant was much more painful and i think i'm just trying to think of like if i were to be on the receiving end of both of those the anxiousness and the kind of almost the shutdown the anxiousness is much easier for me to respond to to understand you know what's going on i can see the emotion i can see what's going on and maybe i can try and you know as as someone who's observing what's going on i can maybe there's more ability to kind of communicate or understand whereas if there's the shutdown there's almost like that completely different nervous system activation and it's like on the receiving end of that avoidant it's very like God, what, what do i do and i think that's also why the connection it does exactly what's supposed to do it's supposed to completely remove that connection and you know keep you safe from that connection and i can really see how on the other end of somebody who you're trying to connect with or not or you're trying to disconnect from but not intentionally it can also create that same alienating environment for the other person I just find it so fascinating how to hear it from that perspective but also to share how it is to on the receiving end of those two attachment styles and how that avoidant dismissive it creates exactly what it's supposed to be doing in that moment which is honestly for everybody else to disconnect from you as well it's kind of like mind-blowing for me to think about but one of the things i do want to clarify is that it's not necessarily that with anxious attachment you're more activated and with dismissive avoidant you're less activated mm-hmm. you're both you're activated in both like your nervous system is activated you're still in survival mode in fight or flight response yeah. it's just that with anxious attachment is more externalized you're more able to see that there's an anxiety there you know like in terms of how you present physically but in terms of behaviors in terms of the way you you approach people in terms of the way you speak Whereas for dismissive avoidance, that 
um, activation is more internal. So on the outside, and I guess that's where the misconception about being cold hearted comes from, because on the outside, you come across as fine, you're okay, like you can cope and handle it. But internally, it is painful. Internally, it is a struggle. For sure. I think the way you described it, it being internally and externally experienced is a really good way of describing it and, and understanding it as well. I definitely wouldn't want to say having anxious attachment is easier than having avoidant attachment or the experience of it because I don't think they can compare between each other. It's just a very, very different experience. But the one thing that I was going to say in different words than what you just said is that being avoidant or perhaps having the inability to receive connection when you are desperate for it feels extremely, extremely lonely. Whereas having the anxious attachment, when you need a connection, you are more likely to ask for it. So therefore you are more likely to receive it. And that is the difference. The loneliness is where the pain lies. And the more you suppress, or the more you avoid, the less coping tools you have to navigate through that fight or flight, the more that loneliness intensifies and overwhelms you like like an avalanche. I actually got goosebumps hearing you say that, uh, Mish, because that sense of loneliness really, I feel seen in your words, because that sense of loneliness is actually really deep with dismissive avoidance. And part of it is not just the loneliness that I want connection and I don't know how to seek it or I'm too scared to to seek it it's also because being dismissive avoidant and especially if you do not have an understanding or awareness that this is what you're experiencing is lonely in itself we're already questioning and feeling like gosh I'm a bad person or I'm not good enough or and this is my experience for my clients whenever they come and they're like what is wrong with me there's days when I really love my partner and I really want to connect and there's days when I'm I can't communicate my emotions I just want to be left alone like why am I such a bad person I'm evil and I'm cold and that adds to that sense of loneliness that sense of people don't get me people don't see me and they don't know who I am plus the way we respond adds, adds to the sense of loneliness mm. you describing it as an external presentation the internal again I think it was what I was trying to say is that when someone is external someone can respond to you a lot easily and maybe make the connection mm. easier whereas if it is that internal battle not everybody can always realize that and it is it is isolating in itself my heart is like hurting for you guys <laughs> so we're really interested in what other sort of behavioral habits do you see or hear about from your clients that are signs of self-rejection whether it is in relation to romantic relationships or independently yeah so that's a really good question and actually i made a post about it a few weeks ago if you go on my instagram page it's like an image of an onion and it's got the heart of the onion i don't know if you call it that but in romania we call it the middle of the onion we call it the heart of the onion uh, which i think it it works really well as the metaphor and analogy that i want to say and the heart of the onion being our true self, the layers of the onion being kind of our coping mechanisms for trauma. So like the way we self-protected and the way we try to look after ourselves. So one of the layers is perfectionism. One of the layers is this kind of hyper-independence that comes with um, dismissive avoidance. There's other layers, people pleasing and self-sacrificing, right? I don't think you can get deeper than that in terms of self-abandonment because people pleasing is that. I'm ignoring my own needs so I can take care of your own needs, hoping that in the process you're going to return the favor, which never does. Therefore, I end up experiencing a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, because I expect you to take care of my needs because I'm not taking care of my own needs. So that's self-abandonment, self-rejection. Also being super critical of ourselves, super self-blaming, that's also a self-rejection of ourselves because we, instead of seeing ourselves 
in a more balanced way. We see it, we see ourselves or we treat ourselves on the more extreme end, which is more catastrophic, way more negative than what the reality is. But the other thing that happens when we experience trauma, especially early on in life, and especially if trauma is of a physical or sexual nature, one of the things that we um, develop is hypervigilance in relationships and mistrust of others. We do not allow ourselves to trust uh, people because obviously for good enough reasons, right? People have hurt us and they've taken advantage of us. But that in itself is also a, a self-abandonment because it's not helping us to reach for connection. It's not helping us to create meaningful connections with others. We're, we're just treating everyone as if they have potential to hurt us and they have potential to treat, uh, take advantage of us. So yeah, these are some of the ways that not just women, it's all of us that have experienced some sort of trauma, whether that, you know, the typical type of trauma, like physical sexual abuse, we would so easily categorize as trauma. Or if we've experienced kind of emotional neglect, emotional abuse, which people find it harder to accept that that's trauma because it's like a lack of something rather than the presence of something, right? Like it's a lack of affection, emotional neglect I'm talking about. It's a lack of affection. It's a lack of love. It's a lack of that all that kind of positive stuff that we need to grow and develop healthily. Whereas physical abuse, sexual abuse, like when, when we experience abuse, it's more of a something has been done to us. People only accept trauma as anything that caused pain rather than that as much as anything that caused void, right? If something's lacking, if there's a neglect, something is not getting fulfilled. So there's a void. That's a yeah. huge that's a huge trauma to the system. But that's not even considered as something that could actually be considered as a wound. You know, it's really funny and, and it's so true what you say because oftentimes I would ask my clients about their childhood and how it was and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. My mom worked long hours. My, my parents long, uh, worked long hours, but we had everything that we needed. We had money. We had, you know, we got sent to boarding school we go had private schooling we had all of this and I'm like okay but where was the room for receiving love where was the room for receiving affection connection when did you feel seen when did you feel heard and it's harder to accept that because as a child you don't know that that's what you're supposed to be receiving you don't know that that's what you're missing so it's harder to see that gosh this is what I was supposed to receive so it's harder to accept it as as this being kind of traumatic. So it takes a lot, it takes a lot of effort to kind of work with that. And I can imagine that logical part of our brain going, oh, well, I had this, I had this. My parents were good people. They were nice people. Mm-hmm. It, it's a way of like, we'll just protect ourselves from maybe what was lacking. And mm. you know, just trying to be logical about it all the time. You know, well, you know, my parents, they paid for this or when they had time, they came to events or et cetera, et cetera. That in itself completely invalidates maybe how that younger part of you did experience life and what it did miss out on. For me, I see that as another way of self-abandoning, just like that logical brain mm. coming in and be like, ah, it wasn't that bad. I, I didn't have anything done to me. Mm-hmm. As Mish was saying, it's like the, if something's done to you, then it's, it piece appears to be so much worse than actually what was not there. I mean, there's different reasons for it. Part of it is how the definition of trauma has changed over time. Like initially, you know, trauma and PTSD was seen as just something that was happening to people that went to war or people like soldiers and stuff like that. Over time, the definition has just expanded, expanded to include more experiences. But partially, it's also because as children, and this is what we do 
in terms of self-protection, we don't tend to blame our parents. We tend to blame ourselves, even when the parents have done something. So we instinctively have that sense of protectiveness of our parents. So it's hard to say something bad about them or, you know, we feel we have a sense of guilt if we feel like we're saying something bad about them. But I often say to my clients that it's not about, you know, when we're exploring childhood, when we're exploring the things that have happened to you or that haven't happened but should have, it's not about blaming your parents. It's not about saying, you know, look at them, they were evil or they didn't do enough. It's about exploring and understanding what did that mean to you? It's just about creating understanding and awareness of your own experience rather than about assigning blame and labeling people or blaming people for what has happened. Could you actually quickly give us a definition of a trauma? I want to go back to the definition that Gabor Mate uses for what trauma is. And his definition is it's not about what happened to you. So it's not about the event itself. It's about what happened inside of you as a result of what happened to you. Mm. So oftentimes the trauma in therapy, sometimes we have things we call like big T or little T. So like the big T would be, you know, like I just said, physical abuse, sexual abuse, all that sort of kind of violence. Whereas little T might be events that are not as traumatic, but because they're chronic and because they happen for an ongoing period of time, they add up and accumulate trauma. But it's not about like, oh, if I experienced big T events, then it means that I'm more traumatized than someone that experienced little T events. It's not about that at all. It's about like what happened inside of me when I've been through this stuff. Was I lonely? Did I have anyone to speak to? Did I have adult that just gave me goosebumps saying that and <laughs> you're agreeing with me I, um, I saw that on your face Mish but um, did we have anyone that could witness our pain did we have anyone that could hold space for us could give us empathy we could feel safe to turn to and feel like we could connect if we had that those are kind of protective factors they kind of offset the impact of the trauma itself mm. but oftentimes what happens is that we experience a deep sense of loneliness we feel like we're alone with our pain and that actually causes secondary trauma it's not not just what happened to us but the response of what happened to us that affects us more one of the things that i find fascinating is studies when they look at siblings and and how they develop differently the reason why i find it mm-hmm. interesting is because siblings have they live the same experience but they live completely different experience so they live in the same environment they have the same parents they experience same memories going on a summer holiday or whatnot christmas i don't know they may have completely different recollection of what happened how it happened and what it meant for them and if we look at trauma and how trauma happens it is because of everything that has happened prior to the trauma and what happens after the trauma itself so it's not just the interpretation of events but it's also what has happened before i am interpreting this event that's going on right now and what are the resources that i'm going to have available to me right after to deal with this and so it shows you that it's such a complex equation that the tiniest and smallest things quote unquote can cause that trauma that wound yeah i agree with you and one of the things that really bothers me is when people over what trauma did you experience as if the trauma itself kind of validates or invalidates my own feelings it's not about the trauma itself it's just about what happened afterwards did i have someone that i could turn to that i could offload i could process what happened or was i made to feel even more lonely was i made i have to carry all this burden on my own you are passionate about people having healthy relationships and and creating healthy relationships right so Mm -hmm. according to you what are let's say three things that people can do when entering a relationship we're talking romantic Mm -hmm. relationships now to continue cultivating the relationship they have with themselves in the first place 
So, you know, one of the sort of myths that we have about relationships is that when we, when me and my partner get together, it's like we become one, we're a whole overlapping circle and this is our whole identity and this is how we are. <laughs> what was that face mission? <laughs> no, it's funny. I can see that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely true. I definitely but, have a lot of people in my circle that have that idea. But the reality is that when we enter a relationship, it's not to become one. It's more like to become free because I keep my identity. My partner keeps their identity. And then we have a shared identity of us as a couple, of us as a relationship. And I think that's one of the most important things to remember. You know, you don't just become someone's partner. You don't just become someone's girlfriend. You maintain your own identity. And I think that that's so important to remember. Like, I'm still you want to is a therapist i'm still one of the has her own social of social circle i'm still one of the has her own hobbies and i need to hold on to that and make sure that i still nurture them i still nourish them rather than feel like okay well i can only do things that my partner wants to do i can only do things like together as a couple keeping my own identity is so important the other thing is with having an understanding of our attachment styles uh, really really helps because our attachment styles I think they have like the greatest evidence base of how our relationships turn out. But basically, there's a lot of evidence to show that our attachment styles will show up in our relationships and will reflect the sort of quality of our relationship. So having an understanding of that is really key. For example, like I mentioned earlier, I have dismissive avoidant tendencies. It doesn't mean that, and I'm a therapist, and I'm also someone that goes to therapy as well. And it doesn't mean that I'm... (laughs) perfectly cured and I never get triggered I do get triggered but what helps me what helps us navigate our conflict is the fact that I can communicate this to my partner my partner will know that there there are times when I just need time by myself I don't want to be bothered I just want to be in the bedroom by myself and just be me myself and I watching tv (laughs) that is how I cultivate and how I take care of my own attachment style so once we have an understanding of that that really lessens the conflict because we understand what each other person needs and we're making an effort to meet each other's needs I had a question. Again, mm-hmm. maybe this is just a kind of, just out of curiosity. In those moments where the dismissive avoidant attachment style is showing up, mm-hmm. when that shows up, obviously underneath that is a, a longing for connection. Yet you are saying that, you know, sometimes you just need to have that time for yourself. Is that just mm-hmm. to kind of work through it on your own? Or is there a way that you can communicate to your partner, okay, this is what's happening right now. And what 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 would the need be in that moment if if you're shutting down? So when I said um, there's a longing for connection, it doesn't mean that you constantly want that connection. One of the features of um, dismissive avoidance is that we also need our space, our own space, our own freedom, our own sense of kind of independence. So sometimes they call it deactivating strategies. The way we self-soothe, the way we manage our moods, is by deactivating, disconnecting ourselves from others. So that need for space is meeting a need is meeting the need of having the time space for myself that's a need in itself because what usually happens is if I have the space to myself it means that my mood is more stable my mood is much better so therefore I could go to my partner and connect to them even better once I've had my space got it so it's almost like that initial soothing to open us up for connection Mm -hmm. uh, you know as as soon as 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 possible Mm -hmm. the worst thing is when you are a people pleaser and have a dismissive avoidant attachment because all you want to do is please abandon your needs and stay there for that partner or stay there for that other person whether it doesn't have to be even a romantic relationship it can be just a friendship but at the same time you need that space it's a mind fuck mind fuck <laughs> we said but- the same one <laughs> 
<laughs> I was also just thinking, you know, you were saying about, you know, if, if there's the anxious attachment as well, like what happens if, if I go, if I detach, does that also mean, you know, there's a risk there as well? And so again, I'm know. not comparing. I am no, not comparing because again, I'm coming from a place, somebody who experiences both or have, have that's what I'm saying from a place of both. It was just something that came up when you were asking that question because I was bringing myself back to my experiences and what I felt when I needed that space and when I needed to I felt so overwhelmed by the, all the emotions that I just needed to be on my own and process things but at the same time I couldn't do it because I felt like I needed to please that person first it is a battle right between like do I fulfill and honor my own feelings and my own needs or do I let the guilt carry me and it's a battle because if you're choosing the guilt then you're not honoring your needs but if you're honoring your needs then you feel guilty yeah and it's just like I felt like shit person I felt like shit friend I felt like I let you on into something from my personal experience people that have people pleasing tendencies also tend to have perfectionistic traits and also tend to have dismissive avoidance (laughs) getting the jackpot Uh, in life so you're basically normal mesh (laughs) so i'm winning is that what you're saying (laughs) yeah (laughs) if ever there was a prize but that doesn't mean that if you have a a different attachment style you can't be um, people pleasing or perfectionistic people pleasers and perfectionists tend to go hand in hand and then and also dismissive and perfectionism tend to go hand in hand so therefore it's kind of like a combination of the three it's equally true you can be a people pleaser without dismissive avoidant you can be a perfectionist without dismissive avoidant they tend to, to go hand in hand in that way the third one and i think it's because you mentioned people pleasing that's why i'm mentioning it is remembering that when you enter a relationship you enter it as an equal partner rather than you're entering it as someone's mother because <laughs> Stab in the heart, right? <laughs> oh God, I feel a little bit sick. <laughs> Give it to us. <laughs> Not so much okay. anymore, but definitely before. You are not bringing all the facts today. <laughs> me, me and Emma, we're both triggered. We're like, oh God, I feel, I'm going to feel emotionally exhausted after okay. this. We can have a bit of a debrief. Okay, don't worry. We, okay, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I think this is so important for women, especially because this is so so much of the messaging that we receive growing up. We grow up knowing that we're going to be the child bearers. So we grow up knowing that we're going to be mothers ourselves. But it's also the messaging like, oh, you're so nurturing. You're so caring. You're so mothering. All that messaging that we receive. And it feels like, gosh, in a relationship, I need to be a mothering, nurturing person. But all it does is just add more pressure because if I feel the pressure that, gosh, I have to take care of their emotional needs, I have to take care of the house, then where does that leave space for me? Also, why should I do it all? How is that achievable for one woman to, to do everything that needs to be done? Over time, it doesn't create more connection. It actually adds to more resentment, more anger. Like that's where a lot of conflict uh, uh, ends up. You know, like all that criticism, all that contempt, all that resentment. I think this is a good place where you have to say and really good help the boundaries from the beginning who does what and what's expected of each other and thinking about how can we come together and work together as a team rather than i'm gonna take care of you and i'm gonna try in the process to take care of me but chances are that because i'm taking care of you so much i have no space to take care of me therefore i'm abandoning myself we would like to know what is one way that women are encouraged to live or how to show up but it's actually really harmful for our ability to thrive so I was thinking about this and this might sound a little bit controversial. I mean, we love controversial, right? Yes, we do. We do. do. (laughs) 
But one of the things that happens or one of the messaging that women receive, especially nowadays with this whole female empowering feminist movement is the message that women can have it all. So we are expected to be this woman that has a successful career, that has kids that are healthy and nurtured and we spend time with them. But also we have a clean, spotless house. But also we're a sexy wife and presentable and acceptable to our partner. And we also eat healthy and go to the gym. And also we take care of our own hobbies and we have a great social of friends. And I'm fucking tired. I'm fucking exhausted just listing all these things. So how the hell can we expect that a woman will achieve all of this all on her own? It's not that women can't have it all. And the thing that annoys me is that we hear stories of women that seemingly have it all. And we feel like this is an ideal to aspire to like, oh, because this one woman does it, it means that we can all do it. But first of all, that must be the that must be the exception rather than the rule. And second, is it is it really that she can do it all? Or is it that she's doing it all with help? Or she's got the resources to do it all? Like to maintain a spotless house, they might have a... Um, cleaner or they don't need to worry about school pickup because they have a nanny or babysitter that does that it feels like it's so empowering for women but it actually isn't because it just puts so much pressure agree like we don't already have so much shit to think about and so much things to process and so much uh, things to navigate it's like adding on this pressure that you you must have it all you can have it all other men do it so why can't you it's like that iceberg, the same thing of mm. this is what you can see and it looks, you know, incredible. But yeah, there's no acknowledgement of the cost, whether it be financial or actually emotionally. So yeah, for me, I just had that iceberg. Everything looks pristine on the outside, yet what is underneath that? I agree. Two things come up for me. One is that a lot of the times, is it really true though? Because what we know, if we look at social media, because a lot of the examples are there, we know that a lot of the things... Majority of the things that people put on social media are not entirely true. So that is something that comes up for me. I'm asking, but is it is it true though? Or is it fake have it all? Mm-hmm. And then also I think it comes down to the, the perspective that people have or what that means. So for them, that may be all. I have it all because I truly believe that I have it all. But what does it actually mean? Is it have it all universally? I, I don't know. That confuses. Mm. It just brings me back to our last episode in which we talked about the hustle culture. And mm. it's that kind of vibe for me and Mm -hmm. another question I'm asking myself why do you need to have it all how are you going to benefit from that and especially for women if Mm -hmm. we bring the example of the Hasa culture it's not beneficial hustle culture is not beneficial there are there are a lot of things in life that we could have and we are more than capable of achieving but how are we going to benefit from that as women how are we mm-hmm. going to benefit from that as women collectively if you're a perfectionist mesh <laughs> you don't really, you don't really think about the you know how am i going to benefit or how's that going to add something to my life it just it just feels like well there's something this is something that i need to strive for because this is the nature of who i am i'm constantly having to to strive for something I constantly have to achieve it but that's that's really such a fair point because what does it add to your life what do you benefit from having it all and also what does all mean like uh, like I said in social media it might seem like it's such a universal answer but it isn't because all it depends on your values it depends on what gives meaning to your own life what is all for you Mish what all for you Emma is different than might be all for me so 
what does it mean to me mm-hmm. when i hear it i i see a very surface and superficial way of of living yeah my question is like what is underneath that why is it that you feel you need to show this even if you did have it mm-hmm. all why do you need to tell everybody about it what is mm-hmm. what is behind that what is the need for that validation or to show that that is and i guess related to the have it all there's a quote by i think it's oprah winfrey you can have it all but just not all at the same time so meaning that you shouldn't expect that you know like you'll have the kids the career the house being the sexy wife all at the same time you can do it but it's just a work over time it's a progressive thing rather than all at the same time but i also want to add to that is like you can have it all not all at once but also not all on your own put that pressure to feel like you have to do it all by yourself with no help and no support for example with me i'm a busy person that uh, works long hours so like and i really care about my home environment you know because i'm a perfectionist i had to give up i'm like i do not have the time to be cleaning my house therefore i need to get some help and and i did and i just accepted that i can't do it all on my own i can ask for help i can ask for what i need from others and find other ways around it can you convince my partner also to allow us to get a cleaner because i would really like that (laughs) send them my details (laughs) excellent thank you what was your other point i'm curious because you said you've got yeah good um fair question i guess the other messaging is that growing up especially as women especially girls we are sent this message that we have to be a good girl Uh, yeah (laughs) i rolls and we have to be this good girls that are obedient and listening and unfortunately from my experience as a therapist that has i'm feeling goosebumps just talking about it but i've worked with a lot of women who this messaging has actually put them in very vulnerable situations and in situations where they felt like something was being done to them and they felt like they couldn't speak up they felt like they didn't have a voice they felt like oh is it me am i uh, misinterpreting what's going on and if i say something if i fight back if i do anything then disturbing the status quo which might not make me this good girl that i'm supposed to be it's supposed to be a good message but is it really is it actually helping to say to women like especially girls growing up you know be a good girl be this obedient girl because of the vulnerability that comes with it that's an amazing point i personally talk about this all the time with my clients because what I've learned and what I can see from their experiences and their life stories is that it really shaped their identity. It really shaped it really shaped the narrative of who they are supposed to be rather than who they are, who they want to be. And it brings up this my favorite quote from uh, the book Untamed. Don't know if you've read it by Glenn Doyle. It goes something like girls, they forget who they are as soon as they learn to please the world and so this really connects because you are told you have to be the good girl to earn love to earn approval so you forget who you are in order to receive that it's really sad it's really sad and i'm really glad you you chose that as one of your ways that we are encouraged to live but actually it causes more damage than than good. Yeah. I feel like it also that- fuels the narrative that we are to be seen and, and not heard. When we are seen, mm-hmm. then all we are is is an object to be looked at and it just fuels all of that as well. And if you look at history, if you look at, you know, the achievements of women, women have achieved things not because they were good girls, but because they were courageous, because they were rebelling against the status quo, because they 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 dared to do something different. And I guess that's what we should encourage women. We should encourage women to follow their intuition, to follow their curiosity, to pay attention to themselves, to their own body, to their own needs, rather than just being good for the sake of being good. 
what signals can women look out for, according to you, when they start returning to themselves again? Some of the things that we can look out for are things like, you know, with people pleasing, it's not about any person that comes into therapy with me. It's not like I would say to never look after for others, never please others, never take care of the other people's needs. It's more about, okay, is this a choice that you want to make? Is this something that you wholeheartedly, you know, I want to take care of my partner's needs. Is it because you want to do that or is it because you feel guilty or you feel pressured into? So healing means that I'm making a choice to look after others rather than what might happen if I don't. Also like learning in terms of perfectionism, learning that your worth is not determined by your achievements. You are so much more than what you achieve and just what's external and what's um, tangible. You have worth as a person and you just have worth just because you exist. You're here, you're alive and you're breathing and that gives you worth. And once you're tapping into that, once you understand that that brings you worth that's powerful as well learning to take care of yourself and learning to take care of both of your physical or emotional needs you know you're healing when you know that you accept yourself as a human you realize that you have needs just as other people have and that's okay and you're able to take care of them so looking after your own health whether that's emotional or physical that's a sign of healing as well Um, i just wanted to ask you your second mm -hmm. point around connecting to your worth and and knowing your worth i'm wondering you know how have you experienced that knowing that reconnecting to that kind of onion heart you know uh one of the things and it might sound a little bit funny for example after we record this podcast i have about two hour break before my next client and the old superfectionist me would spend that time doing work i would be either doing reading notes admin like whatever i would find something to do (laughs) but instead what i'm spending the next two hours doing is playing and exercising and that's for me because i don't need to you know feel like i have to fulfill my fill my time with things for the sake of achievement or for the sake of like feeling like i'm doing something i'm doing something that's good for me exercising helps me with my both my physical but also my mental health playing i'm I'm, you know, nourishing the inner child. I'm giving it the play that um, it needs. I'm really curious about what you're playing. One of my friends got one of them uh, VR glasses, like the one that Facebook does. And it was so exciting, like playing games. And then like the next day I bought one for myself and I've just been playing on it. I love that. The importance of play is so important. Again, something that I've been going on about in my coaching and my work with my clients. I make them to schedule appointments of fun and play anything where they can really let that child version of them out and enjoy themselves Mm -hmm. especially because of the volume of the hustle culture and you should always be working on something you should always be bettering yourself no shut up like let me relax let me have fun because Mm -hmm. life is already stressful enough and it's just not good it's not healthy for my well-being but you know it goes even deeper than the hustle culture because one of the things that happens when we experience trauma if we grew up in very chaotic environment where you know our needs weren't taken care of chances are that as children we didn't have enough time for play and you know just being children so doing that to yourself is like a way of reparenting yourself it's a way of taking care of that inner child making that inner child feel safe feel seen feel understood feel loved so it's giving back to yourself and meeting needs that weren't met when you're supposed to meet them you saying that is what probably one of my experiences of reconnecting to my worth has been is allowing this younger part of me to be expressed whether it be like having a tantrum because I don't want to go on this walk that my partner and I have decided we're going to go on or even just food in the fringe that I want just like allowing her to express and allowing her to you know be happy or you know put on silly voices or like just 
play and just allowing for that. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like my experience of myself is so much more full because I allow all those different sides of me to come out. That has also related into my internal talk. And that in itself has been a huge realization of reconnecting to my work. I think back now, like how I used to speak to myself. It's almost like mind boggling. I would never speak to my, yeah, maybe occasionally I have a few thoughts now and again, but like I actually react to them. There's like a reaction, like, oof, that was not nice to hear that from my own head. So I think that's been my way of understanding of I've reconnected to that worth and that goodness that has always been Mm -hmm. there on the point of play like for most of us it means that we do not allow enough time to play we experience fun and experience pleasure so we do have to be intentional with it planning for time for it but it doesn't mean that we have to spend you know all of our time playing but going back to other things that we can do or other signs of healing one of them and especially for people that might have a tendency to have like a Uh, anxious attachment style with anxious attachment style we're not quite comfortable of being on our own or like sitting with our own own emotions so one of the signs of healing is that you're you're okay to be on your own you you don't feel being on your own doesn't necessarily mean that you're lonely it means that you're just on your own and you can keep yourself company you can keep yourself occupied you can do things that are nurturing that give you a sense of pleasure achievement a sense of fun so that's another sign of healing as well as knowing that it's okay to have emotional needs which you know people dismissive avoidance style sometimes feel like i should not express any needs because i should always be self-reliant but embracing the fact that we have emotional needs and feeling safe to ask for those needs to be met feeling safe to share whether it's a partner or friends or whoever it may be feeling safe to ask for those needs to be met you know what do you think the wider impact on the world would be if more women were to reconnect to themselves to connect to that you know unconditional goodness that is 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 there I think first of all we would be making a lot of corporations unhappy because (laughs) because reconnecting with ourselves means that we're accepting ourselves as being good enough and a lot of the messaging that we receive from corporations especially things that are aimed at women is the subliminal message that you're not good enough therefore here's a product that I can sell you that will make you feel much better here's a product that I can sell you that will make you good enough so in a way reconnecting ourselves is a rebellion a, a movement right like it's a miseducated movement against the, the status quo in terms of like I feel good enough therefore I don't need to buy 50 lipsticks or don't have to have like 10 step nighttime skincare routine or anything that's like so superficial like that women intuitively are more not necessarily in touch with their emotions but more willing to get in touch with their emotions so i I have a lot of hope that with women themselves they will where they will carry on this journey of reconnecting with themselves and going back but i think what we also need to kind of focus on is is men it will help a lot more men they kind of got in touch try to kind of reconnect to their true self rather than listening to all the kind of bullshit advice that life society teaches us if we feel like we're having to make a change for ourselves only it doesn't give us enough motivation or enough incentive to make a change because it feels like oh, i'm just helping myself let me carry on being a self-sacrificer or people pleaser because that's why i know best this is my comfort zone but when we're reconnecting ourselves what we're changing is is actually our future generation rather than just who we are currently right because even if we don't have children we still have a mothering experience by being an auntie a sibling or having friends that have children we're we're shaping the next generation in terms of how they're going to grow up now we're breaking those you know like the intergenerational trauma patterns we're helping other women in the future other children other kids to feel better in themselves to feel good enough in themselves to feel like they have worth that they're seen that they matter um so yeah Joanna, that was one of my favorite chats we've had on this yeah. podcast thank you for having me ladies and also 
you may be aware from my Instagram that I'm also in the process of creating my own podcast, uh, which is going to be the Miseducated podcast. Yes. But yeah, because I'm a perfectionist and because I, I take on too many projects at the same time, I'm trying to pace myself and get some things that I've already started out of the way before that. So I look forward to actually returning the favor by inviting you guys onto my own podcast later on when, you know, when it's a real thing. Yeah, we, we would love that. Yeah, we would we love that. So... Other than your podcast, that will be coming mm-hmm. uh, very soon. But other than your podcast, where can we send listeners to find out more about you and see more of your work? So the main social media platform I'm active on is Instagram. And my handle is at the miseducated therapist, all in one word. I'm pretty active there. So feel free to reach out to me. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Amy. Thank it's you for amazing. having me. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week for our next episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at returning to oneself, where you can receive updates on our next episode release dates, topics, and where you can engage with us too. We would love for you to tag us if you found this episode resonated. Remember, you have and always will deserve to return to oneself.